Aren't you glad for a great God that we can worship? We're here to worship the Lord God, our Savior. I would ask if you are able and don't mind doing so that you would rise for the reading of the word of God today. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four together. We'll start our reading in verse seven and we'll go down to verse 16 and then skip down to verse 21 and read some more verses there. So uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse seven, but each one of us. I'm sorry, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're skipping down to verse 21. Surely you've heard of him and we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk Come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We're in a second week of a series that I have called Purpose. It's a DNA series, if you will, a series where we are talking about our purpose as a church and what we value as a congregation. Why do we do what we do here? Why, what, are our, what are the things that we value and hold as very important to us? And I've had you uh, remember that around our sanctuary we have four words. And they're also on the front of our building. And they speak a lot to what our values are. Last week we looked at how important it is. How loving God back is paramount in who we are as a people and as a church. That's a value, and it's up there on purpose first. 
First and foremost, what God wants out of every human being is for us to love him. He wants that more than he wants anything else. And if you do nothing else well for the Lord, if you love him, that is what he wants out of you anyway. He's not looking for you to perform for him. He's not looking for you to to never make mistakes. He is looking for somebody who has a heart for him and who loves him. And we said last week, we can kind of put to bed any doubts in our own minds that God loves us. We can know without a shadow of a doubt that you have never been loved more than by how God has loved you. No one can love you like God loves because God's capacity of love is so great. And he loves you more than you will ever be able to wrap your mind around. It is true of all of us. We cannot even begin to fathom the greatness and the power of the love that God has for people. And we spent some time talking specifically on one of God's love languages last week. And you'll remember we went to the 100th Psalm and we looked at worshiping God. Can I just tell you that God just loves it when we worship with heartfelt uh, worship, when we express to him our appreciation and our joy. And you'll remember that one of the precepts of that particular message was that we should shout once in a while our love for Jesus Christ. And we spent some time looking at that and we said that it's all right to to exert energy and to use our voices to express praise to a great and wonderful God. And around here in the gospel chapel, true worship is a something that we value and we try to help create an atmosphere where you are free to express your love to the Lord God verbally and in the intensity of your worship inwardly. And we talked about that being a value among us. And so we took some time and we said that that's one of God's love languages. Oh, he loves it when we love on him. And again, what we want to do is love God back around here. And that's why that word appears and why it is first. Today, we're looking at what it means to grow in the Lord. What it means to grow up in our faith, in our obedience, in prayer, in the word of God, in fellowshipping with others, in other places and aspects of our life. This is something else that God wants from all of his followers. He wants us. To grow. Now I don't know too many people who don't like and don't love little babies. At least for short periods of time, right? We love them. And most of them are very cute. And I say most of them. Every once in a while there's an ugly baby. I would never say when. But on on some occasions at least, babies are very entertaining. And they're so cute. And they make us say, aww, and people, we will stick our faces in theirs to provoke a smile. It may be hard to believe or imagine at this point in your life, but there was a time when adults stuck their face in yours, and they made funny faces and funny little sounds to provoke a smile from you. And some of you drew the aws and the baby talk from the adults. Without hurting your feelings, I need to tell you that 10 years later, some of that appeal went away. And now, if an adult sticks their face in yours and starts making little funny sounds to you, you're liable to punch them in the nose and say, get back, get back. Things change. And that happens, and we all love babies. And I got a little bit of a smart aleck who does my my projection, and he included babies of other species. But we even love them, don't we? We love them all. 
And see, I'm hearing alls, okay? And some of you used to draw those. And I remember the experience of being a brand new parent. I mean, my first son being born. I didn't know what I was doing, obviously. I didn't know what it was like to be a dad. But I have to tell you now that my son's full grown. Both of my boys are grown. It is a whole lot of fun for me to watch brand new parents today. It's fun because it's scary and it's hard and I understand that. But every first in the life of that newborn baby is a big deal, isn't it? That first sound, that first time that mommy and daddy get to hold that sweet little bundle of joy in their arms, that first bath, that first feeding and consequently the uh, first diaper change, um, the first car ride when you're going home from the hospital and the first day and full night at home for new mommies and daddies with their first baby the, at the first stirring of that child, no matter what time it is, they're both up and they're both at that crib. And they're taking care of that precious little bundle of joy. Doesn't matter that it's two in the morning. It's just a thrill to be a parent. And they are giving their attention. And they're they're determined to be good to their baby. And I will tell you that some of that cuteness and some of that appeal goes away for, for the same parents and the same child. If that child at age two keeps waking them up at 2 a.m. Amen. Suddenly. What was so amazing, and those first that were so amazing before, suddenly they're not as amazing. And I have to tell you, a sweet little baby crying at two in the morning loses some of their luster as they get a little bit older. What seems so sweet and cute when a child is very young is less cute in later on in life. Listen to me. No one wants a ten-year-old infant. We don't want that. By the time our child is 10, we are hoping that they have grown. We are hoping that they have developed. We are hoping that they can do a, a whole lot of things to take care of themselves. No one wants to have a 10-year-old act like a helpless infant. Amen? None of us want that. In fact, if your child doesn't develop, doesn't keep up with what seems to be normal, usually we get concerned about that as parents. And usually that's a sign that something's not right, something's not healthy. And what we want for our children, if we're good parents, is for them to grow. Amen? We want to see progress being made. We want to see their minds developing. We want to see their bodies developing. We want them to grow. I have to tell you something. My key goal as a dad for my boys, especially when they weren't as cute anymore, was for them to become good men, not living with me. That's what I wanted. I wanted them out. I wanted them to be men. I wanted them to live on their own. I wanted them to take care of themselves. And as I get older, I'm hoping at least one of them will take care of me. But I want them to grow. We want our children to grow up. And I have news for you, my friend. God wants the same thing for His children. And he doesn't want us to be the same that we were ten years ago. His intention for us is to transform us. Now I know that some of us are going to be rocked off a little bit of top dead center for just a second. But God's 
God's full plan for you wasn't just to save you so you wouldn't go to hell. Yes, that's part of His plan. But His plan and His eye for you is one of transformation. He wants to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. And He doesn't want you to stand still and grow stagnant and not grow in Him. In fact, what He wants you to do by the time you get to be old like me is to be one of the great saints, one of the great warriors in the church so that God can use you in a mighty way. Did you know that growing is a priority in God's heart for you? He doesn't want us to be 10 year old little infants and weak and, and, and not growing in development. So strap on your little hats, if you will, for a second and thinking caps. And let me just take you down this with three observations in the scripture. I will say to you that to grow is to make spiritual progress. And God would have us to make spiritual progress. So I would suggest to every person here who identifies yourself as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a lover of the scriptures, I'm going to suggest to you that you revisit these things. Make spiritual progress through the fellowship of believers. Verses 7 and then 11 and 12. Here in this passage and through, truly throughout the Bible, we see it as God's plan for people to be part of a body of believers. That's what God wants. In fact, the moment when a person is born again, the moment that they believe in Jesus enough to acknowledge him as God and they offer themselves to him, that moment that they ask Jesus to forgive them, he does that and then he places them firmly in the body of, of, of Christ, which is the church. In other words, the moment that you were born again, you were tied to every other Christian who has ever lived on the face of this earth. I'm tied to the Apostle Paul. I'm linked to him because I'm his brother. That's what the Word of God says. Apostle Paul is my brother. James and John, they're my brothers. I am tied to every godly saint who has ever lived on this earth. And I am tied to every one of you here. Whether you like it or not, or you want to call me a crazy uncle, I belong to you if you are a believer. And you belong to me because together we all belong in the same family. We belong to the Lord God. And here's another little thing for us to remember. We need each other. You know, I joke around and tell people, you need the Lord. When they say silly things, I I look at them, you need the Lord. And that's true, but we need one another. And the Word of God tells us that, and it is God's plan that we would be linked to one another, connected to every other believer on the planet. The salvation experience is when Jesus brings a former outsider into his family. And if you are a biblical Christian, you are part of the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus. You're as much a part of Jesus' family and his body as any other Christian. Billy Graham is a great man of God, but I'm as important to the family of God as he is. And so are you, if you are a believer. Now, this is going to sound rather morose and morbid, but listen, if I were to disconnect a part of my body and just set it aside, I'm going to tell you that that part of my body that has been disconnected cannot thrive, it cannot live, it will die. 
If you're a biblical Christian today, you are the church. And the church needs you. And you need the church. And you need to be connected to the church of Jesus Christ. What I'm getting at is God intends for you and me to worship both privately and in a community of believers. And growing is no different from that. It's God's plan. An intention for me and for you, for us to grow through our private efforts and through corporate efforts. None of us can grow up into Jesus Christ without other believers and without the church. You and I need each other in order to mature in the Lord. Iron sharpens iron. We need that from one another. We're told in the scriptures, commanded in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, not to forsake coming together because we... We will not grow individually in our hearts, make spiritual progress unless we are uh, connected with a body of believers and do life with them. And somebody may ask, well, why is that, Pastor Ken? Why is that God's plan? Why do I need the fellowship of other believers in order to grow? Why can't I just in my private uh, house, in my private room, have a relationship with Jesus? Why can't I turn on a television and watch TV preachers and support them and send my checks there? Well, I'm just going to tell you that he doesn't love one believer more than he loves another. And it is his expectation that each member of his body, the church, make an effort to be connected with other members. He says it clearly in the word of God. None of us are to a place where we can be isolated and all by ourselves and grow. I know that there are special circumstances where people cannot physically go to a church. And I understand that it happens. But even they need to connect to a body of believers who will do life and, and, and will minister to them and have, have an opportunity to minister back. That creates growth. And none of us are special enough to be isolated from the other members. Why? Because we are made to be dependent on one another. It's how God designed us. Two parts of my body that aren't anything alike almost are my lungs and my brain. They're very different and there are very great differences between them. They're not even the part of the same system in my body. And they certainly don't serve the same function. In fact, if they ever decided on their own that they wanted to trade places and my lungs wanted to be my brain and my brain wanted to be my lungs, I'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Do you hear me? My brain cannot breathe and my lungs cannot think. And I need my brain to be my brain. My brain fires my central nervous system, which is very, very important. My lungs can't even work unless my central nervous system is working. And if my lungs aren't transferring oxygen to the cells of my body, I won't survive very long. I won't be able to to function. They can't switch places. They're connected through God's creative plan, but they must do what they do. My, if my lungs died, my brain cannot go on living and vice versa. Notice that none of our individual parts of our bodies are so special that they do not need the rest of our body. Again, not to sound gross, but to take some part of our body away and set it aside and to think that it can exist on its own is wrong. We our, our individual parts need to be connected to our body in order to function, in order to live, in order to grow, in order to survive. They each need each other and the rest of my body points. Now, listen. 
You and I need each other. We need other believers. God has placed you in part of his body, which exists right here. This is a part of his body that touches you, to which you are closest, at least at this point, which you share the most in common. And listen, we need to be connected so that we can minister to one another, help one another grow. And the gospel chapel is a unique part of the body of Jesus Christ. And we're built here to serve a unique purpose. Specifically, the way the fellowship of believers works to facilitate your growth is through nurturing and through providing a function and a purpose for you as part of the body. Nurturing means instruction in the Bible, accountability, and ministry to one another in times of need. Every believer has challenging times. Amen? You have them. I have them. We all go through them. Every believer needs prayer and support and nurturing from other believers from time to time. If someone here loses a loved one, they need nurturing. If someone here loses a job, they need nurturing. If someone has is going without, they need other believers to step in and to help them. If someone gets sick or injured or their feelings have been crushed, they need other members of the body to rally to them and help them. If somebody is lonely, we need to respond to that. What am I saying? That's what believers do. And that's what being part of a local body is about. We nurture one another. We minister to one another. We do life together. Our church will always try to provide opportunities for you to grow in Christ and have fellowship. And people here who will love you, accept you, and, and help you when you need the help. And give you opportunity to be someone who is helping someone else. Because that makes you grow in your faith. And we will do our best to provide those opportunities for you to grow. We do have classes. We do have mentoring. And we are developing things as we go along. And I want you to participate so that you're growing in the Lord. Secondly, make spiritual progress through the word of God. Verses 14 and 15 said, Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is the Christ. And illustrating how vital the intake of God's word is for a follower of Jesus, the Bible in many places identifies the word of God as our spiritual food. So what have you been eating lately? Let me ask it another way. If your physical intake of food matched your spiritual intake of the word of God this week, how would you be feeling right now? How would you be doing? The Bible makes it clear that followers of Jesus need a constant intake of his mighty word. Because as food is to the body, so the word of God is to our souls. For me to even highlight all that the Bible says about the word is another whole sermon series. But please trust me when I say that you and I need it. We need the word of God and we need it consistently. There is awesome transformational power in the word of God. There's healing in these words. There's guidance and inspiration and wisdom and blessings and encouragement and much, much more in the word of God. It's living. 
It's active and it is the bread of life. And perhaps most importantly, it is the absolute truth. It is the absolute truth. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free and you'll be free indeed. The Word of God tells us, the Bible itself tells us that everything that we see that has been created, all of it out in space and all of it in this planet, and you and I were created by the Word that proceeded from the mouth of the living God. It all came to being because of Him. There is something about the Word of God that is powerful and effective in our lives. And I don't know how else to stress this more. You and I need a steady intake of the Bible. We need the Word of God. That way, we will know the truth and we won't be like little infants who are tossed back and forth by the waves. Now, how many of us understand that a little infant that is hungry will accept a bottle from anybody? They don't know. They don't know what's in the Bible or in the bottle. They're just trusting you to put the right thing in there. And God forbid this would ever happen, but an adult could put something very harmful to a child in a bottle and stick it in their mouth and they would consume it because they don't know better. Can I just tell you that one of the reasons you and I need a steady intake of the Word of God is so that we won't be tossed back and forth like that. Because can we all admit that there's a whole bunch of lies that are being told all the time to the world and some of them are disguised as people within the church. It's nonsense. Some of the things that Christians drink in because they don't take the Word of God in so they they don't know. And they're tossed back and forth by cunning of people and craftiness of people because they don't have any understanding of what this book has to say. And this is the truth. I will make never, I will never make an apology for accepting the words of this book. So I have no problem when a scientist, quote unquote, stands up and says to me, no, the universe came into being through a cataclysmic explosion, through chaos and randomness, and somehow all of that created all that is here, and it all evolved, and it all became this. They can say that to their blue in the face, but that's not what this book says. This book says there's an almighty God, and he breathed out stars with his powerful word. He said, let it be, and it came to be. I'm good with that. And I believe that with all of my heart. To me, this is the truth. And so what other lies come into me, I'm not drinking that bottle. I'm not accepting it. I'm not taking it in. This is the Word of God. And there's power in the Word of God. And so I need to challenge you. If you want to grow up in the Lord, be somebody who knows this book. Be a woman. Be a man of this book. You need wisdom. You need guidance. Know this book. Let this book come alive in you. Learn it and live it and, and, and follow what this book tells you to do. And you will find that this will give you the power you need to live the life that you need to live. Oh, that God would help us to fall in love with the Bible again. My Bible still tells me that through the word of God, I can resist the enemy and he will have to flee. You know, this book helps us when it comes time to take a stand against the enemy. You see, the Bible tells me that I can grab the sword of the Spirit. 
And I can pick up the shield of faith. And I can put on the helmet of salvation. And I can have my feet made ready, shod with the gospel of peace. And I can wear the breastplate of righteousness. And I can stand against even Satan himself in the name of Jesus. We need the word of God. It equips us. It helps us. And God expects you. I don't want to hurt your feelings. God is tired of the big babies that we have in so many churches who never grow. He's tired of people who insist that if they're going to grow, they have to be spoon fed. You're too old for that. That would be like your 10 year old saying, mommy, feed me. Give me a physical break. We need to grow up one day. And let me tell you what my mom would have said if I said I'm hungry at age 10 and said, Mom, feed me. Now, she may have cooked meals, but she wasn't going to sit there and shove it in my mouth for me. She would have prepared a meal and she would say, well, then eat if you're hungry. And by age 10, she would always say to me, would you just go make a sandwich? (laughs) There it is. Make it. Why? Because I was growing up. I was able to do that. It's a shame how we get, and we get, we, as Christians, we refuse to grow up, and there comes a time when we just need to grow. Grow up spiritually through the Word of God. It will feed you, and I remind you that the Word of God is quick and powerful. I remind you that God's Word is eternal. Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but His words will never pass away. So I make no apology for believing it is truth. And I make no apology when um, philosophies or science in this world contradicts what the Bible says. I don't make an apology for believing the Bible. Because I believe in God with all that I am. You and I grow. We make spiritual progress through God's word. You and I need a consistent intake of it. We need to read it and study it and learn it and and quote it and live by it. Finally, make spiritual progress through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verses 21 through 32 describe how the Lord moves his followers through a process of becoming more and more like him. I say it to you again. What you are today, one year from now, if God lets you live, he fully expects you to be different than what you are now. Do you understand that? He wants you to grow. I have a lot of fun when a young couple who have never been married before comes to me and they want me to do premarital counseling. I like doing that with them. And one of the things that I like to tell uh, people in premarital counseling, especially when they're like, you know, when I had Brandon and, and Janelle, for example, one of the things that I said to them is, listen, you guys, I said, you're really nice looking right now. Good looking people. But just understand, Brandon, that in enough years, you're going to look something like this. Okay? Why? Because changes happen. Amen? I know this is going to shock you, but I was a lot cuter when I married my wife than I am now. Why? Changes are occurring. And there's nothing I can do about the fact that I am aging. But here's what's unique or what's, what, what I've found interesting. As I age... It's not just my physical being that's changing. Everything is changing. 
I'm not the same guy. I have very different tastes. I'll give you one quick example. Man, when I, the day that I married Darlene, I was just crazy about going to amusement parks and getting on the biggest, baddest roller coasters that they had all day long. And I loved it. I loved going to those places. And I, man, if I got to go, I even said to myself one time as a young man, like 17 or so, I said to myself, this has to be what heaven is like. I'm going to have to be able to go to heaven. And ride rides like this. This is awesome. I will have to tell you that at age 60, I like it. But I don't need it anymore. I don't like wait until the day I get on one of them. I'll still ride the big bad roller coasters and deal with the headache and dizziness that I get from doing it now because of the way things have changed. What I'm trying to say is change is going to happen with you. Even your taste. Everything is going to change. And that is exactly what God intends for us spiritually. He wants us to grow up. He's tired of people just sitting in seats. And sitting there and saying, come on, give it to me. Bless me, I dare you. Consume, consume, consume. At some point, He wants you to grow up and be a warrior for Him in the name of Jesus. At some point, you and I need to grow up to where we are ministering to others and not only thinking about what we need and what we want, but we actually look beyond ourselves and we see a world that's hurting and we say, God, anoint me to address this. At some point, we need to grow up and say, I met somebody. His name is Jesus and He can set you free. We need to grow up. And not be so easily offended in the church. Oh, I might as well go here. I might as well do it. Got you half mad now. Let me finish it. God needs to help us. We get so mad in church. It's too cold, so I'm mad and I'm walking out. The preacher's too ugly. Get over it. I can't help it. Preacher says stuff I don't like. This happens. I don't like the way they do this. I know, I'm uncomfortable with this. The seats are too hard. The seats are too soft. The music's too loud. The music's weird. Whatever. We just get so worked up about things that don't matter. And God would say to us, would you stop? Would you grow up? Would you learn to love me and follow me and grow up and be somebody who is an asset to my church? Because I didn't just save you until the day I move you into heaven. I want you to become more and more like me every single day. We may not like this, but we are part of Jesus Christ in this world now because we're part of His church, the body. And I don't know what I am, if I'm a, an eye or a foot or a hand or a big toe. I don't know what I am, but I want to be the best one that I can be for His glory because it's time for us to grow up. And the Holy Spirit... Leads us through that process. Who is leading? We put off the old self and we continually are made new in the attitude of our minds. We're led away from being false. And we learn to speak truthfully with love to our neighbors. We learn how to be angry but not sin. We learn how to not let the sun go down on our anger and deal with it. We're led to learn to avoid giving the devil even a foothold. The Spirit leads us to be honest and hardworking and to control our tongues and to use them for good instead of evil. We learn to love others as we rid ourselves of our own bitterness and our rage and anger and our brawling and our slander along with every form of malice. He leads us to be kind 
and to be compassionate people and to be compassionate to one another and to forgive each other just as in Christ God has forgiven us. That's the process of being led by the Holy Spirit. It's what we Wesleyans would refer to as progressive sanctification. It is being filled with the Holy Spirit and then daily being made in a process more and more like Jesus. He fully expects me to be more like Jesus this time next year. It's what he expects of me. All of that said, what I want you to take away from this point is how vital it is to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. If you let him lead you, you will grow and become more and more like Jesus. If the Spirit leads you, you'll always be in line with the Word of God and fellowship with the other saints of the church. Let me say this to you. He is looking for someone he can trust. The Holy Spirit is looking for someone he can say, Hey, Bill, that guy over there is hurting. And he needs you to talk to him. And he needs access to Bill's heart. So the bill will hear that and say, okay, God, what do I say? And then allow the Holy Spirit to lead him to say, listen, I can see something's going on. Is there any way I can help you out? He may say to Tim one day, Tim, that person needs financial help. And you have $10 in your pocket. And I want you to trust me. I want you to go up to them and tell them who you are, that you belong to me. And that this is not from you. This is from Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit wants people that he can call on and say when we're visiting somebody in a hospital. And listen, I have occasion because of my job to be in the hospital a lot. And, and I have to tell you, I haven't always gotten this right. But I try so hard to not be a man on a mission. And what I mean is if I'm going there to go see somebody, that's the person. And I'm, I'm making a beeline to that room. And I have had occasions when the Holy Spirit has, has just given me, diverted my attention to somebody sitting in a waiting room crying their eyes out with nobody there. And the Holy Spirit said, Ken, you need to talk to them. And it doesn't matter you're not their pastor. And don't try to be their pastor. Just be me. Go up to them and say, may I pray with you? Is there anything that we can do? I'm so sorry. Go up and show them the love of the Lord. You see, the Holy Spirit needs people who will listen to him, who are sensitive to him. He needs people in the church who will recognize there's somebody else in, the, in this fellowship. And I can see it. I can sense it. God wants me to do something for them. They need a hug. They need to know they're loved. They need to know they're valued. Today, they need from me. And if the Holy Spirit can trust you, here's the thing that I have discovered. It's kind of fun to let God scare you. I'm trying to say it right here. Because it's scary. Let's be honest. To walk up to a perfect stranger. Hi, you don't know me and I look creepy. I have no ill, Ill intentions here, lady. But I just feel like God has told me to talk to you about something. And listen, let me tell you what. When you are spirit-led, God has already set the table for you. And sometimes you get to be part of some amazing things. I'm going to give you one example where this was just as part of my job, but where the spirit of God led me. Because let me tell you, I was taken aback on this particular day. It was several years ago when I was pastoring in the Sunbury area. 
And I'll just give you a brief background here. One day, a lady walked into our church I had never met. And we had a wonderful service. And that woman came forward and she prayed at the altar, crying. And she accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. She had sons with her. Her name was Elaine. And Elaine prayed through. I mean, she it was a sin, sincere prayer. And the very next week, <clears throat> Elaine comes to church and she's got a man in tow. It was her husband, John. And John did not look happy. And so he came into the church and I shook his hand and he said, he grabbed my hand and he pulled me outside. He said, I need to talk to you. And he just pulled me right outside. Didn't ask. He just grabbed my hand and he pulled me outside. And so I said, okay. So I stepped outside, not knowing what he was going to say to me. He looked at me and I could see he was angry. He said, listen here, preacher. He said, I'm here for one, one reason only. My wife made me come. I don't want to be here and I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm not happy about it, but I'm here to stay married. That's what he said. And he says, so don't you shove your Jesus junk down my throat. And I said, tell you what, John, I'm just going to do what I normally do. And I'm, I'm not going to personally come to you. I won't embarrass you, but I am going to do what I normally do. And he said, okay, I guess I can't stop that. And so he came in and he sat there with his arms folded and he acted mad didn't want to shake anybody's hand. I did what I did. And then I looked him up as he was leaving church. And I found him because this is just how I am. And he challenged me. So I felt challenged. And I said to him as he's going out, hey, John, thanks so much for coming. And he just glared at me for a second. I said, look, I said, uh, what do you like to do outside of church? He says, why? I said, I just want to know. And I said, you ever golf? He said, yeah, I like to golf. I said, well, I'm horrible, but I'd like to go golfing with you one day. And he said, what? I said, yeah, I'm really bad. But, and so you'll laugh. And, and we'll, just, we'll just go swing. You want to swing a golf club with me? And somehow I talked him into it. And I felt led by the Spirit to say this to him. I know that sounds weird, but I invited him to go golfing. And a long story short, we developed a friendship. And John started coming to the church. And we actually were getting along very well. And, and I was doing well with the family. They came to our house and we entertained them once. And, and so I get this panicked phone call one evening. And it was Elaine. And she was in an absolute panic. And she's, she's talking to me and I could barely understand her. And she screamed and then the phone went dead. And I, I, I didn't even think about it. I jumped in my car and I raced over to their house. And when I came to the house... Elaine was standing outside, and as I'm walking up, she says, it's John. And I said, "Um, what's happening? Oh, no, where is he? Is what I said. And she says, he's in the house. But, and I walked right by her and went to where John was in the house. And he was sitting in his living room, and he was looking straight ahead when I walked in that room. And I said, John, what's going on? And he said, sit down. And so I went and I circled around. And it was when I went to circle around to sit down that I saw a fully loaded 38 special sitting right there. He said, so sit down, preacher. And then immediately I began to pray. I began to think of my wife and my children. And I was thinking, what if this man goes, goes crazy and he shoots me here? And I breathed a prayer. Father, protect me and give me words. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I'm with you, Ken. 
And I sat there next to him, and Elaine came in the house trembling, crying. I saw the phone had been ripped off the phone, off the wall. John had done it. And I said, John, talk to me. What's going on? He says, all right, it's about time I do this. And he stood up, got really close to me, had a hold of his gun. And he says, listen, preacher. He says, let me tell you the story of my life. And he began to unfold his life of how he and Elaine came together because they had an affair together uh, at work and, and they had divorced their, their former spouses and they come together. He began to tell me about some things he had been involved with that were um, part of crime family. And he just began to spell it all out. And I'm listening to him and I'm looking at him. And finally, he got really angry and got bent down and screamed in my face. What's your problem? What's wrong with you? And I had a piece and I looked at John and I said, I'm not sure what you're talking about, John. I don't have a problem here. He said, then you're not a preacher worth your salt because any preacher worth his salt listening to me saying these things to you would have walked out of here long ago. What's your problem? And I looked at him. I said, John. I said, I don't know what you think I should do, but I'll tell you why I'm still here. I love you. And as far as what you have done, Jesus is ready to forgive you. And he stopped. That, that caught him, kind of made him stop. And he stared at me for a minute. And then I watched tears brim up in his eyes. And he said, you mean Jesus would forgive me anyway? After all these people I've hurt, after all these things I've done, he's ready to forgive me. And I said, John, he's been waiting to. He will do it here. He will do it now. I sensed the Holy Spirit giving me words. And I just shared whatever words came into my mind. And it was just a few moments later that John grabbed a hold of me. He said, please pray with me. He knelt me down at his couch and he knelt beside me. And we began to pray. And suddenly he jumped up to his feet. And this man had the only touching he had ever done was like to shake my hand or something. But he jumped up to his feet and he was crying. And he wrapped his arms around me and he sobbed and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And when I finally got him to calm down and Elaine's, of course, crying her eyes out. When I finally get John to calm down, he said, Pastor, I need to apologize to you. And I said, why is that? He says, I had every intention. And he pointed at the gun. He says, that's loaded. I had every intention tonight to blow her brains out, to blow your brains out, and to go and kill her, her, uh, his ex-wife, and then I was going to come here and blow my brains out. That was my plan. And I will tell you that that, that got to me. As I thought about how God turned everything around and I drove home, first of all, apologizing because I said, God, I think I did something really stupid and you protected me, right? (laughs) I don't recommend this. But on the other hand, the Holy Spirit used me and he was able to speak to me and he protected me by giving me the words, moving John's heart and everything changed. Everything changed. Because God had my heart. And the Holy Spirit was able to lead me. I want to be spirit led. And it doesn't have to be spectacular like that every day. I don't need God to put me in front of somebody crazy about to shoot me. Okay. But I want to be spirit led. And I want to be grown up. And I want to be useful. What if I were a spiritual baby? 
I think my response to John would have been to try to fight him. I truly do. So I'm so glad that the the Lord was growing me up at that point in my life. And I want to grow. I don't want to be the baby that I was back then. Now, I five years from now, I want to be so much further along. I want to be a better man, a godly man. Why? Because growing is a priority in God's mind for me. He wants me to grow up. And here's how I want to challenge you today. I'm going to ask you, what is the Spirit saying to you this day? Are you eagerly following Him or are you resisting Him? What is He asking of you? I challenge you, make spiritual progress through a fellowship of believers. Make spiritual progress through the Word of God. And make spiritual progress through hearing and listening to the voice of the Spirit. Let Him lead you. Let Him lead you. Take opportunities and grow. We'll do our best to provide opportunities for you to get close to the Lord. If you want a mentor, come and talk to me about it. We'll try to get that to happen for you. We'll link you with a a more experienced uh, believer to help you grow in the Lord. If you don't know how to read the Word, I want to help you with that. But grow for the glory of God.